my comrades, friends, welcome to the People's School Martial Learning Study, Thursday, November 5th. Tonight, because of the situation in our country right now, we're going through a period, I call it electoral anarchism, where we're going through, after 250 years or more, we're going through something we never experienced. Other countries of the world have experienced it when they won administration gives power to the next, bourgeois democracy. But this is all new for us. And I thought it would be a good idea if we compared what we have here to what went on in Germany, the background of German fascism, the economy of Germany after the war, how it affected the middle classes, why the middle classes went to fascism. The difference is that we had a strong working class party in Germany in the 20s. We don't have that in our country, so it's going to come out differently. So in this book that we're using, it was written before the common turn changed, which was 1937, when we went from a period of class against class to the slogan became after 37, United Front Against Fascism. That's basically what the slogan changed to. So I'm going to go through that from this book, and we see how we can look at what they went through then, what we're going through now, okay? And I'm just going to change some words so that you can relate to what is being said. All right. Very interesting, really. So I'm going to try to do as much as possible. There's so much in this pamphlet, but I'm going to start with Hitler's promises, and I thought that was interesting. It says, so necessary for the continued existence of capitalism. The political task at the moment was facilitated by the political immaturity, immaturity of the middle classes, and the middle classes particular position in the social scheme which prevents the middle class from playing an independent role. They're basically subservient to the ruling class, the capitalists. Furthermore, the middle class is unwilling to accept its new state when they become proletarianized. In other words, when the middle class, because of the economy, falls into the working class. They find that hard to deal with. This is what Marx said, by the way. The worst fear of the middle classes is to fall into the working class. Remember that. So who do they follow? They follow, listen to this and compare it to us today, the adjectives. They follow a reactionary, a romantic, often monarchistic style, which means king-like. They dream of the good old days under the Kaiser when, because of the upward trend of German capital at that time, the position was better than it is today. Where do you hear something similar to that? What slogan? Make America what? Great. What's the last word? Again. Again, that's what reactionaryism is, going back to another time. 
And this was written in 1932 or three. Instead of taking their falling into the working class as a basis for a political alliance with the working class against their common enemy who exploits both of them, you know that is, the capitalists, the impoverished middle class seeks to forget their social demotion and they try to conceal it many times. They seek to fight their way out of the working class by aligning themselves, guess with who? With the capitalists, who originally pushed them into this new position of being proletarianized. Their role in the process of production, in other words, in the means of production, their role as small peasants, artisan, artisans, commercial employees, tradesmen, makes it difficult for them to grasp the economic process as a whole. Hence, they cannot see their real enemy, which is big capital, except during acute crisis and then only in an abstract and unreal manner. How does that bring to this idea where a businessman who exploits millions is only able to get us out of our economic problem. We have Bloomberg in New York City, Trump nationally, people who do the computers, etc. The middle class wants a change. Look at the people that are demonstrating with the Trump flags. They definitely want a change. But they want a change which shall restore them to their favorite position before the war. To the middle class, the leader said in effect, those with money are destroying you, the capitalist class. This is a quote. The Marxists approve of this. They seek a society where there shall be no classes. I, as the leader, promise you that in the new government, there will be classes, and you will be in a class that's superior to the rest of the workers. At the same time that the leader appeals to the most elementary needs of the small farmer, they promise that in the new country, the new society, the tariff would be increased. Does that sound familiar? The war with China? Economic? The tariff will be increased, raising the price of what the farmers make. Interest is going to be reduced, alleviating debt burdens for the average person. The average person is too backward politically to realize that they cannot be liberated from interest of the banks until they are liberated from capitalism. Reading from page 14, they cannot see that at a high tariff intensifies the crisis making these conditions worse. They do not grasp the connection at all between their own living standards going down and the wage cuts of the workers in the urban centers. He is ready 
the petty bourgeois, to follow any party that promises them that they can remake on their own land, that all the prices will go up and that their expenses will go down. All this and more because the leader is willing to promise anything. The small businessman, the middle class, does not grasp his place in the economic scheme of capitalism. Inflation, crisis have destroyed him. But in his daily life, the small businessman, the petty bourgeois, he sees no further than his own nose. It seems to him that his enemy is not capitalism, but the big commercial trusts, the gigantic department stores, especially the ones that are owned, now remember they're talking about Germany, that are owned by a few Jewish people. Various bourgeois parties have promised the middle class relief, but they have had their turn at office and they've done nothing. Now comes the new leader. Trust in me, he says. The Nazis are actually carrying out the policies of monopoly capital and the Junkers. The Junkers were the basically the capitalist class, the landed aristocracy. But the reactionary forces gain a mass following by appealing to the poor middle classes. To their economic program, they add appeals to the basic national and racial passions. Where have you seen that recently? There is a great bellahu about their race in the culture of humanity. The so-called, this is, there's no country like America. We're the highest. And they see any kind of immigrant menace and above all horrors of Marxism that seeks to destroy the quote individual, quote, the American race, quote, the nation, the religion, God, country, and naturally, white culture. For the purpose of winning mass support among the middle classes and even among the workers, leaders like Hitler are ready to make any promises. They will liberate, they claim, the whole country from the burdens of war. They will tear up different treaties that are, in this case the Versailles, that are detrimental to the country. Getting rid of the Iran deal. They will annul any kind of pack, the climate change I'm thinking of. They will gain back Assas Lorraine, the Polish corridor, landed areas. They will nationalize the banks and the trusts. That hasn't happened yet here. But their main aim is predatory capital. Whether Hitler or any other leader will or can carry out these promises remains unknown to the masses, as long as the leader has not yet come to power. Long before the leader assumes the head of government, his groups, his brown shirts, his minions carry out one of the main tasks of fascism. What is that? A ruthless armed war against Marxism.
especially against the vanguard of the revolutionary working class, the communist movement. A civil war on a small scale has been going on in countries like Germany for several years between the left and the right. In this conflict, social democrats, that is, liberals, support the lesser evil, the so-called lesser evil. The prevented thus prevents a real united front of the workers against fascism. So I'm going to stop there. I'm hearing what Hitler was promising, this idea that the middle class would have status again, would have as a new society again, like they used to. And that, that reminds me a lot of Trump's promise that Christianity, I think, would like take its place among, uh, or always have a place among like that. I wonder if that's a similar promise, if that kind of represents the same thing. You're asking about the parallels between what was being offered by the Nazi government and what is being offered by Trump. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, I remember there being a quote from Trump saying that Christianity will find supremacy in this country again or something like that. And that reminds me a lot of what we were talking about with the Hitler was kind of saying that. I'd like to answer that. I was shocked. About four days ago, five, maybe six days ago, one of the rallies, Trump said, he used the term. Listen to the term he said. One nation, one culture, one people. Does that sound reminiscent of anything sounds in like, history anybody has heard before? Sounds like nationalism. Okay, you say nationalism. Well, it comes from 1930s. I don't know the German parallel, but it was said by Hitler at his rallies in Nuremberg. He said, one country, one people, one leader. Does anybody remember this in history, or am I the only one? You're right. Yeah, that did happen. I'm kind of curious, because it seems that historically, with mm -hmm. fascism, specifically also in Germany, that they were able to gain a mass following due to appealing to the middle class. But how does that reflect modern society, where the middle class has shrunk to almost non-existent, and that most workers are proletarized. So how can fascism gain a mass following in modern society? Okay, in Germany, there were two groups that were following Hitler. One was called the Black Shirts. We all know what that is. The other one is the Brown Shirts. The Brown Shirts came from the working class. They were people who lost their jobs, who came back from World War I, had no jobs veterans organizations, things like that, and the economy was so bad, they were unemployed. The brown shirts came from that section. When the economy gets bad, you yourself just said, comrade, that they become proletarianized, middle class. So the middle class falls into the working class. The working class becomes lumpen. They join forces, then they become the street fighters for the leader. It's exactly the same. It's not different at all. I suggest that people take a study of who is following the leader today. These are not average working class people. There's something declassed about most of them. That's the only thing I could say to you. I was wondering, with you talking about the brown shirts just then, what would you think would be more analogous to current day brown shirts in America? Would it be the Proud Boys, like someone said, or would it be like the ICE and Border Patrol who seem to be 
willing to follow Trump in the battle. I was just curious. Thank you. I think it's obvious. For the last three days, has anybody, am I the only one who's seen these caravans of Trump supporters who are on pickup trucks? In the past, they used to have Confederate flags in the back of their trucks, but now they can't do that, obvious reasons. So they have Trump flags, actually a flag with Trump name on it, and the American flag. Um, never have I seen that in my lifetime where a person who comes from the bourgeoisie, who is a candidate, so cult of personality-ized, as I've seen with this one. Never, never have I seen anything like that. And I've been around for many, many candidacies for the Democrats and the Republicans. Never. This is a whole new thing. So your question is, who are they today? The Proud Boys is one section of it. It's anybody who's opposed to the advances of women in the past 15, 20 years, 25 years, to the advancement of LGBT community. That's obvious. Now LGBT people could get married. And the third is the racial aspect. The fact that from the back of the bus, people of color have now been given a seat at the table in many ways. That's horrifying to these forces who are using, as the author says very clearly here, who are using their racial superiority to say, well, at least I'm white. So I'm a step ahead of everyone else. So there is similarities on that. I hope I answered something. My biggest question, is there any meaningful way to even reach these people? Because even if Donald Trump were to go away, and we were to make it out of this, the ramifications of what he's set in motion is most likely going to be felt for the foreseeable future. What is our role as Marxists? Okay, that's not in, what we uh, read. That's a, that's a good question, but it's not what we, we just read. You're going beyond from what we read. You're going into the future. I think we should deal with that before we end tonight's class. Hold that question when we have round robin. My question was, should Donald Trump lose the current election? Because from what I've seen, it looks like it could very well be a possibility. What do you think will become of the mass of supporters that he's been able to acquire and who have been vocal and cultish about their support for him? Again, not that what we read, it's going beyond that. But just briefly, I don't think history has showed us that people who follow a leader like an occult who are reactionary, some people call it fascist-like, whatever, I don't think they can be changed. Let me just tell you what happened after World War II. There were many people that still followed Hitler, and they kept quiet. The war ended in '45. Large numbers of the so-called middle layers economically of society, middle class individuals, doctors, lawyers who supported the regime, went to South America. This has been documented. They continued their ideology in South America. I don't believe that a lot of them can be salvaged. Now, let's look at the other side of the coin. 
There were Germans who were captured, who were sent to the Soviet Union during the war, who were re-educated, who became the foundation of going back to Germany and building the German Democratic Republic. So there are cases, large numbers of cases. But remember, we had a Soviet Union that was re-educating them. Where do we have that in under a bourgeois society? I don't believe the bourgeoisie want to re-educate any of these people. I think they need them in the background. In case they lose control of society, they need these brown shirt types. They need them desperately in order to push their ideology. Again, the book we're reading, it's called The Background of German Fascism by Joseph Friedman. Communist written from the viewpoint of the Comintern before the Seventh Congress of the Comintern. It was the old position of the party, which was class against class. So again, from that, I want to read what they talk about, the lesser evil, on page 12. But this is interesting. Capitalists are not interested in democracy, period. Lenin proved that. Lenin said that we have to defend bourgeois democracy because the capitalists won't do it. And this book was written following Lenin, what Lenin was saying. Capitalists are interested in only one thing, profit. When profit is threatened, they're ready to drop the democratic mask and to resort to dictatorial measures. Besides, there's such a thing as reformist bureaucrats. The bureaucrats know that the worker is beginning to see what's going on, and the bureaucrats know this, and the capitalists know this. The time will come when capital will dispense with the social democrats and get rid of them through fascism. But on the road to fascism, the reformists are still useful to the fascists. The misleaders of the workers, the social democrats who supported World War I and now support dictatorial measures, they defend the regime of von Schleicher. Now I'll tell you what von Schleicher was. That was the regime that came during the Weimar Republic. That was the end of the Weimar Republic. It was a social democratic regime. They tell the workers, we shall get something worse. This is where the lesser two evils comes from. Everybody heard of the term. It comes from this period of history in Germany. Like the leaders in the AFL in this country, they deny, the social democrats deny, that the crisis is deeper than all previous crises. They cooperate in the destruction of democratic forms on the ground that they are temporary expedients on the road to economic recovery. When the crisis becomes too acute, they transmit to the working class the bourgeois idea that all this is due to the war. All this is due to the virus. Forgetting to add that the war and the virus that we have today is an integral part of capitalist economy. I'm reading right from the book. The social democrats, you can use the term liberal for us today, supported Hindenburg, 
as against the communists who ran a ticket in the last election in 32 in Germany. And the theory that the Social Democrats support Hindenburg, who's a centrist, the theory is that the Kaiser's military chieftain, that's who Hindenburg was, was the lesser evil. Remember, this was written in 1933. The Social Democratic police chief, and they give you his name, the Social Democratic Minister of the Interior, they give you his name. They all attacked the party, the Communist Party. The government, with reformist support, weakens, notice, weakens the trade unions. In turn, the unions prevent struggles against wage cuts and lowering the living standards. The Social Democratic Reichstag which was the parliament, the reformist trade unions become allies of the government. Look at AFL-CIO leadership. But all this has been going on, you would think, I know some of us would hope, that they would call for a general strike. It will never happen because they're afraid that things will go out of control in a general strike. I'm reading from the book again. The leaders of German capitalism did not, of course, share the illusions which their social democratic henchmen were spreading among the masses. German capital realized the full meaning of the economic crisis they were going through. They knew that it could easily become a political crisis, menacing the whole capitalist system itself. The increasing opposition of the masses the growing influence of the Communist Party made it necessary for capitalism to get rid of the democratic drapings and to go over to the mailed fist of fascism. That's straight from Dimitrov, by the way, when he talks about what is the definition of fascism. Force, masked by fraud, had to be replaced by naked force. The transition... The naked force was the legal, the legal, they put that in quotes, dictatorship of the industrialists. Okay, on page 16. The present terror is directed against Jews, liberals, pacifists, social democrats, as well as communists. Today's terminology would be immigrants, liberals, radicals, this is the terminology you hear today from the Trump forces in Congress. Their main objective is to disarm and to destroy the working class organizations. Monopoly capital acted through Hitler seek to prevent what cannot be prevented. And what is this that cannot be prevented ultimately? A working class uprising, a revolution. In order to extend their base in the middle class, the reactionary forces play upon the worst national and racial prejudices. They've gone back to the Middle Ages for their ideas. The immigrant, the Jew, the gypsy is the convenient scapegoat. This is written in 1933. It's too scary to see the parallels to today. The official organ 
of these groups of Hitler people is called, I can't pronounce the German, Da Unsgriff. He said, our hatred for the Jew is no passing fancy, but rather a logical consequence of our love for the German people. Who talks about love for the American people and at the same sentence attacks rapists from Mexico? The Jews brought international capitalism, which recklessly drew the chains of slavery around Germany. This is what the German Nazis were saying at the time. But they also brought Marxism, and today they would say AOC is one of the people I'm thinking of. They accuse her of bringing socialism. Of course, she's no socialist. But anything that smells of attacking the system, they're going to attack. Words that tell the story. Listen to the words. Change it to out nationality. Germans have a gigantic fight against socialism, but obviously not against capitalism. Jews are supposed to have brought international capitalism, but the Nazis have nothing against the leading capitalists like I.G. Farben and Krupp. I understand there are some people, maybe even on this phone call, who refuse, refuse to see that something is different in this period in our country. They're using the formulas that we had at a different period of time. And they think those formulas are enough to solve the problems we have today. My answer to that is this. If that were true, why did the international communist movement change their policy in 33, 34 to a united front against fascism instead of class against class? We have to ask ourselves honestly that question. And we could only come up with one or two answers. The common turn was correct or the common turn was incorrect. So I'd like to open it up now to a broader questions. I'm very glad you mentioned about the Jewish people in Germany bringing in Marxism along with capitalism because that is one of the main reasons that Hitler was so hard on the Jews is because of his fear of Marxism. I also wanted to mention that one of the main reasons of the Weimar Republic being like it was was due to the Treaty of Versailles, which had really extremely punitive remuneration that was called on for Germany to pay to the other countries because of the result of the First World War. And what they tried to do to cover the restricted remuneration was ridiculous inflation to the point where workers would go out on their lunch breaks to buy groceries because by the end of the day they would be triple and quadruple in price. You're correct, Ahmed. I just wanted to add when speaking about the different groups that are behind Trump, one of them is the Christianity base. And I'm not saying it's just the fanatical Christians. It's middle-of-the-line Christians. And I think that's one of the biggest overlapping groups that are going to stay with them no matter what. Yeah, true. You're correct, Cameron. I just kind of wanted to hammer this home because this is very important historically, especially the fact that some of the first consecration camps that were set up were for the communists, socialists, and trade unionists, even to the point to where I think it's in the Holocaust Museum that they have that poem, which is First They Came, 
which was from a pastor. Pastor Nimala. Correct. And in that, he's talking about how first they came for the communists, but I didn't speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists. I didn't speak out because I was not a socialist and so on and so forth. And eventually getting to the point that he didn't speak out. And then in the end, there was nobody that was left to speak out for him. I'd like to add to that, comrades. One of Trump's rallies, I'll never forget this. It was the second year. A reporter who had disabilities with a nervous condition was shaking. On the stage, Hitler was, not Hitler, <laughs> that's a Freudian slip, I'm sorry. Trump was making fun out of him. Does anybody remember that? Shaking his body and so, oh, 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 making, and all the audience laughed. Yes, comrades, I'm glad people remember this. The first ones that went to concentration camps were the disabled. Remember that. The disabled were the first. Thank you, comrade. Good evening, comrades. My question is, looking at the state of the nation today, how do we find the difference between lesser evilism and the united front against fascism? How do we determine which is which? Good question. How do we know the difference between following the lesser evil or the united front? against fascism. My answer to that quickly, does it have to be one or the other? At different times in the struggle, why can't it be one? At other times in the struggle be the other. Isn't that what dialectics is about? That the reality changes? So what was true at one period of time may not be true the next period. I just leave that with everyone to think about. Evidently, as we mentioned, this was written well before the Comintern in 1937 adopted the United Front policy. So I was just wondering, what was the thought process of the German Communist Party during this fascist terror in the early 30s? Were there any kinds of early manifestations of the United Front policy, and that's what developed into the United Front policy later? Or did they still try to follow that class against class? policy? I could go through that really quickly. Antifa, which was set up by the Communist Party in Germany, abbreviations were KPD, Communist Partei Deutschland. I'm not a German speaker, but that's the essence of it, the KPD. The Antifa was the protective force. They were there to protect rallies of the party and joint rallies with the Social Democrats against the brown shirts who were trying to break them up. I want to explain that Antifa then, their symbol was two red flags. The current rendition of Antifa as a black flag and a red flag, totally different, totally different. Also, Antifa today is an offensive weapon used to attack fascists before they attack the left. That's the thesis behind them. The original Antifa was strictly self-defense. When the fascists attacked, our Antifa at the time were there physically to protect the working class families with their daughters and their sons and their babies and mothers. But the original policy, the party was split in the Reichstag. Majority of them said, we got to stop Hitler. There was a minority which... Lenin would call left communist. Their position was that 
Their slogan was, after Hitler, us. That Hitler is not going to be such a bad thing. We've had bad conservative politicians in the past, and we came out on top. That it would be so bad under fascism that the German people would vote us into power. That was the slogan, after Hitler, us. What they didn't understand is that we never had fascism like they did until the Nazis came. And all opposition was crushed. So there never was another election. I don't know if I answered your question. Did I? Yeah, that was great. Thank you. I just wanted to say in reference to what Comrade said about is it the lesser of two evils or is it a united front? can't find the exact quote from the united front readings from Dimitrov. It said basically we must fight to secure any advancements in democracy that the workers have made, and it's better to exist under a liberal bourgeois dictatorship than under a fascist bourgeois dictatorship, and we must struggle if it is against the fascist dictatorship with the liberals. And I thought that was particularly relevant because it was coming from Comrade Dimitrov. Yes, thank you, Comrade. All I was going to add is, we're talking about a lot of parallels between Germany then and the U.S. now. I'm not sure how many people know the details on it, even though I'm sure they've heard the name of the QAnon stuff. Well, basically, QAnon references or takes from the same kind of thing was in this book that Hitler had read called The Scrolls of the Elder Zion, I believe. And there's a lot of parallels with what they're claiming, you know, they're against whatever it's called, the uh, blood cult or whatever it is. There's direct parallels to that with that book and the cult around Hitler in Nazi Germany. So that's another thing to look at and to be watching out for as part of a parallel. So Thank you, Simon. Hey, comrade. I wanted to follow up on my question from earlier now that we've reached the round robin. Obviously, it's uncertain, the results of the election, as we're still waiting for everything to come in. So if in the events that Trump loses the election and is forced to concede, we will continue to see the ramifications of this in the coming years, especially with the cult of personality, especially QAnon just mentioned. What is our role as Marxist-Leninists to address these reactionaries, and how do we overcome these forces? As while they may be a minority, they're certainly the loudest. I'd like to answer that quickly. The enemy was never Hitler, never Trump. The enemy has always been monopoly capital that uses a repressive system like fascism when it needs to. So Trump is not... The person, it's Trumpism. It's not Hitler, it's fascism. What can we do? We don't know yet. We all have different ideas. My own personal view is build a party. The faster we built the party, the faster the Soviet Union got built, was better when the attack came from fascism in 1941. Are there any other types of conspiracy theories that were going on back in 1930s Germany? The big one was that the Jews controlled the world. There was a famous book called The Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which was a fabrication which came out of Tsarist Russia originally and was resurrected many times. Please understand that the Jews in Europe of that period were identical 
place in society as the immigrants have today in Western culture. The bottom of the barrel. They were the ones who bring diseases. You heard what Trump said. The diseases were brought here by who? By the Chinese. Ridiculous. That's what he said. And there are literally millions of people who won't buy Chinese food. In my own area, this is the true story, there was a boycott against egg rolls. Can you believe the level of intelligence of the Trump people? <laughs> it's almost farcical. So the protocols of the elders of Zion were the QAnon of their day. You should do some research on that. Thank you. I appreciate you. And just a little quick add-on, Adolf Hitler in Mein Kampf, he makes multiple references to the Jewish conspiracy being intertwined with Marxism. And he says that the two most dangerous things to the German people are Marxism and Jewry. So always being able to tie in the Jewish faith with some sort of left-wing conspiracy is sort of a hallmark of reactionary ideology, and it has been for a long time. I just wanted to say that it's kind of depressing to me that the people that the right wing is fighting against and trying to slander in our country, they're not even communists or really even that socialist. They just kind of claim to be. They're just kind of lukewarm social democrats. And I just find that frustrating. Yeah. But, comrade, remember the movie. I urge people to get the movie, everyone. Judgment at Nuremberg. It's an excellent movie showing you about the Nazi judges who were put on trial. And Burt Lancaster's famous words in that is that we were told that there are enemies among us, gypsies, Jews, liberals, communists. That's right from the movie, which was from the transcript of Judgment of the Nuremberg Trials. So this thing with liberals is nothing new. We see liberals one way, but the reactionaries see them another. That's all I can say, Cameron. Thank you. I just started this in the notes I was taking. You said that they promised to nationalize the banks. Is that something we could expect to happen here? Well, the reason why they did that, Comrade, is because they were told the Jews owned the banks. Therefore, in order to get the Jews take away their property, we're going to nationalize the banks. So there was other reasons why they were doing that. I don't see the same level here. Remember the game that Trump is playing. On one hand, he says he's for Israel. He's given them everything. He's anti-Palestinian, that's obvious. So he looks like he's for the Jews. Our job is to show that Israelis are not equal to Jews. Jews are a religion, cultural group. Israelis are in one area of the world, Palestine and to be favorable to the government of Israel is not to be favorable to Jews. We have to do that as communists. If we don't do it, no one else is going to do it. So I don't know if I answered your question about the banks. I don't see that as happening here, no. I just wanted to bring up a quick point on the use of middle class and how it's changed in the United States and its usage in terms of it being used to obscure class relations more than highlight an actual class. There are middle class people in that class, but it is mostly working class people who are teased into 
believing that they are of another class simply by a math trick in terms of quantity of income per year. This has, of course, been used by monopoly capitalism, which is nothing more than a nationalism brought to you by transnational interests. And I think that needs to be hammered home to these nationalists, that they are transnational interests that they're supporting. Thank you. Yeah, glad the comrade from Utah said that, because, remember, according to Comrade Stalin and the Comintern, our position has always been, we are the real patriots of our country, not the corporations. Corporations' loyalty is to profit. Our loyalty is to inside our country, and that's basically the difference. You're correct in everything you said. Donald Trump at one point was speaking during, I believe it was Hispanic Heritage Month, and he bought a bunch of people from Cuba who had failed in the overthrow of the Bay of Pigs invasion. And I'm going to read a quote of what Trump said, not because it's Trump, but because of the implications that it has for the future of what we're going to be combating, because these ideas that I'm about to say are not going to go away. They are going to be very prevalent with us. Here's what Trump said in front of a bunch of Cuban people who failed in overthrowing Fidel Castro. Quote, Today, we proclaim that America will never be a socialist or communist country. I'm going to add that word, communist. It's the first time I've ever said that. I've never added the other word, but I think it's appropriate when you look at the kind of ideology we're facing. When you see the rioters, looters, anarchists, and you see the press, the media play right into their hands. It's so sad to see the media, the way they're being used. The media is being used like fools. It's very sad to watch, but we will prevail. It's the first time I've said that, socialism and communism. We did not tyranny abroad, only to let Marxists destroy our beloved country, unquote. So those ideas Trump has echoed recently are not going to go away. I just want to make sure that we are all aware that those ideas are going to be prevalent, probably for the rest of our lives, unfortunately. So that's something we have to be very vigilant in combating. All right, so I have a two-part question, but I'll keep it quick. The first part is, obviously, in Germany, you had a communist party, you had social democrats, Marxist thought, in some form or another, was there. And obviously, it's here in America, too, but not anywhere to that near extent at the moment. So my first question is, it seems to me that if communism doesn't exist, quote-unquote, they have to invent that boogeyman in order for fascism to work in this blueprint. And so first, I just wanted to... Asked to clarify that. And secondly, Trump did better with black voters in 2020 than in 2016. And he did better with non-white voters than any Republican in 60 years. So my second part of the question is, did Hitler appeal to other minorities in Germany? I don't know what their demographics were like, but those are my two questions. I could answer that quickly. The people that worked closely with Hitler were a group in the Jewish community. I don't know if people know this. They were called Zionists. The Zionist movement, which was composed, the upper echelons financially of the Jewish community, was divided between Zionists and non-Zionists. The Zionist movement worked with Hitler. What did they tell Hitler? We will help you get the Jews out of Germany, which is what you want. Instead of just putting them in concentration camps, which is what they did, the Warsaw Ghetto, for example, and don't confuse concentration camp with death camps. They're two different things, comrades. 
It means only what we did to the Japanese was a concentration camp. Take people out and put them in one area. That's all it means. It could be a death camp, but it doesn't have to be. So the Zionists were saying, let us help get the Jews out of Germany and send them to Palestine so that we can resettle them there. And that was a close-knit relationship. Everybody in this phone call should know that. Thank you. I was just wanting to touch base on the point of, is there any way to reach the current brown shirts, if you will? I was thinking about the Night of the Long Knives when uh, Stoffel liquidated the brown shirts later down the road. Is there any parallels to that or any means of using that to kind of enlighten those people that they're being used as just temporary pawn in this game? I don't know if other people would agree with this, but I think what Comrade Chris did in Vermont, he talks about this in many of his interviews, being able to switch Trump voters to voting for a communist. I feel like that doesn't really get enough credit for a president that goes around saying communism is a giant enemy. And Chris, running a very small campaign with not a lot of funding, was able to convert enough Trump supporters to be able to turn out 3,000-plus votes. So if anything, I would try to establish connections with people who have had success in turning Trump voters into more class-conscious proletarians. So I think people who have experience in that, those are people that you should be asking those questions to. I think what you said is correct, Comrade. I just want to add to that. They're disaffected from society. They're looking for something to join. If we're not there, they're going to join the right. It's that simple. We have to be there and offer them an alternative and say, yes, we do have enemies, but the enemies are not other people that work for a living like you and me. The enemies are for those people who keep us all down. That's the super wealthy. They can relate to that. Many people can relate to that. Thank you. You talk about conspiracy theories. You have to remember the Nazis had the stab-in-the-back theory, where they basically blamed uh, Jews for everything on losing the First World War. And another thing that added fuel to that fire was, you have to remember, the First World War wasn't concluded in peace. It was just an armistice, which essentially means stop fighting. And the Germans had fortified positions in France, so they came out with this idea that they were going to win the war, but it was because they got stabbed in the back by the Jews that prevented them from winning it. So in Hitler's view, the second war was just a continuation of the first. That's all I have. Thank you. I'd like to add to this thing. I was very active in the war against Vietnam in the mid-60s. And after the war ended in 1975, when Saigon was liberated by the National Liberation Front, which we called the Viet Cong, Vietnamese Communists. The correct name was the NLF. But when that happened, the people here in this country said that the soldiers who went to Vietnam were stabbed in the back, the same words, by the peace movement at home, which was composed of communists, liberals, etc. The young people today don't understand at all that when they hear the word liberal, they think of Mao Zedong in his thesis on liberalism, combat liberalism. That is not what our experience was in this country with the word liberal. Remember that during the Roosevelt years, FDR, during the 30s, we had a group of people that were called fellow travelers. 
They were all from the liberal section. They walked the same road as the communists. That's why they call them fellow travelers. But they walked for different reasons. And they were very useful and supportive of us. When the McCarthy period came, it was many people in the liberal community who collapsed and fell victim to that. But others in the liberal community were loyal supporters. So there's two types of liberals, New Deal and Cold War liberals like Hubert Humphrey and New Deal liberals like Henry Wallace. Thank you. I just want to add on to bringing up the point that even the fascists have to admit that the people want socialism. That's why they will take our rhetoric. That's why the fascists call themselves national socialists and talk about getting rid of Jewish bankers, right? And I think earlier brought up that, that we don't really have that equivalent to that rhetoric to modern day. But I want to point out that nowadays people are talking about Jewish media, right? That's the new Jewish bankers of our day. Yes, they talk about correct. how they're controlled to spread communism, to subjugate the good American people. And that's why Trump still has to talk about how he's for the working Americans instead of corporate interest. But in the end, what differentiates us and the fascists is that we talk about the difference between the rich and the poor through materialism. We talk about exploitation, whereas they usually just point at certain groups, whether it be the media or the bankers, and they talk about how they are morally evil. And this, in the end, obviously, doesn't actually damage the system sort of in line with the great observation about how the scapegoat right now is the Jewish media, a lot of that scapegoat is George Soros. And people don't know that George Soros was instrumental in, after the fall of the Soviet Union, restoring capitalism in Eastern Europe, along with Spigny Brzezinski, whose daughter currently hosts a show on MSNBC. So that sort of insult that there's some sort of Jewish media conspiracy is not at all in tune with any sort of historical facts because the same person that they say is pulling the strings is actually the pulling the strings to stop socialism and to reinstall capitalism. And with that, I want to thank everybody. Thank you all, comrades.